Good evening, everyone. Let's get started. Good evening. Hey, Jen. Hey, Noam. How you doing? All right. How's it going? It's uh, Wednesday night and we're all crossed out. I know it's a, one, one of these days. I still haven't figured out a good way to do uh, both uh, like both of us and this music at the same time uh, without <laughs> half-assedly putting my phone up to my microphone and then slowly moving my arm away. <laughs> <laughs> so that the music fades into the background of the room. That's actually how they used to do things, you know, like uh, the history of like a sound recording. Like if you listen to like an old big band recording from like the 50s mm -hmm. or even, you know, like Miles Davis or whatever, uh, if they wanted to like get everything in the same volume and stuff, they had to like position people in the room at a different distance from the mic, like a trombone or a trumpet is like is so loud and shrill. You got to get the guy to stand like 10 paces back from the mic. And so it was a whole like there was a whole quote unquote like analog skill set to mm -hmm. recording that involved stuff like that, like knowing where to place people. Now you could just make a high quality studio level album at home with your laptop. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Right now, we just adjust everything in Pro Tools, yeah. which is what we normally do yeah. when we're not on call-in. <laughs> it is still, you know, you'd think, I mean, it is, there is still a, it is still gated. I, I, I should know as someone who gets, uh, frequently gets paid to, to explain to people how to do a podcast. <laughs> um, that's sort of part of the, part of what I do professionally. Okay? How do you do a podcast? <laughs> kind of. I mean, that is, that is literally, I mean, it's, it's a little more now people are a little more savvy now, but yeah, like years ago, we're talking, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. There's a few, I don't know who wants me to talk about this or who not, but there's a couple of like big podcasts, a, a couple of like big uh, podcasts that don't exist in their original, uh, in the form that they did back then or whatever that I helped set up in the sense where they were like, tell us what to buy and then come by and hook up all of the things that we bought that you told us to buy and just explain to us like where to hit record and me in that way kind of, uh, uh, yeah. Cause everybody wanted to get into it, but nobody knows what step one is. Step one, buy a blue Yeti. <laughs> Step two, plug it into your computer. Well, now you go to Amazon and they have well, like yeah, podcaster yeah, yeah. Like starter joke, kits. Yeah. yeah, that include Absolutely. everything. Yeah, it's yeah. very uh, it's very nice. You know, again, it's very uh, bundled now. You just buy everything, and then if you want to be fancy, you can even get the ring light so you can be on camera. And not that we want to do that. Yeah, and now I mean, whatever. I have well, a ring. one I, day. Maybe. I have I have a ring light. Too. Yeah. I and uh, <laughs> I, I used to. I didn't bring it with me when I moved. But and now you can go on call-in and with your phone, and then and you can and, and you know because now call-in like syncs with like Apple Podcasts or whatever. Like you can just talk into the ether and it turns into a podcast that people can download off of Apple. It's very uh, it's very interesting how these things uh, get. Maybe we can get you to explain to Bernie Sanders how TikTok works. 
<laughs> I don't know. You start your phone up. I see people dancing. I don't know what I, it is. There's people dancing out in the streets. I don't know what this is. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. Is this is this those flash mobs? I keep hearing about those flash mobs. <laughs> is that one of those things? Are they doing the Harlem Shake? <laughs> Actually, that's too that's too new of a reference. Is this the Macarena? I remember doing that at the Democratic National <laughs> Convention. I was there with Hillary. It was fun. <laughs> We were doing the more sophisticated one, you know, instead of like the one from the music video. It's the one where you do na 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 up na 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 na. There's more moves. You can't see what I'm doing. Only Jen sees the joke that I'm making right now. It's visual comedy for one person only. <laughs> As so much of our content is. Yes, but I what what Jen is referring to is that there's video of. There's video of Bernie Sanders, like in the background of a TikTok. Someone was filming a TikTok. Just literally being Bernie Sanders. Yeah, like, this like girl who was uh, doing a little dance with like the like the, the, the doorman. Yeah, yeah. The, the doorman at her fancy hotel or whatever, and they're doing a little like like dance moves. And here's Bernie like trying to. He tries to like <laughs> he basically tries to get like go in between them, looks up, realizes that like a thing is going on and just like walks around it. it you know? He makes the Bernie Sanders face. There's <laughs> that like what the hell is going on? What is this? What is this? What is what are you doing? What is Are you filming a movie? I know they do that here sometimes. <laughs> is this an episode of Law and Order? I like watching that when I'm having my prune juice. Did you know Valentine's Day was on a Tuesday this year? That was amazing. <laughs> he did some kind of interview and he got confused. Well, it's not that he's confused because he's not confused like Biden, right? No, he's not like he's not like confused. He was just irritated. It's almost <laughs> like he 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 hasn't thought about the concept of Valentine's Day since like 1972. And so it didn't occur to him that like it's a day of the year, right? It isn't like uh, – it isn't like uh, – I don't know what uh, – labor day yeah we don't move it around to be like on a specific the second day. monday of the whatever <laughs> right it is literally a date that you celebrate it on it's like oh, why isn't the fourth of july on a, why is the fourth of july on a tuesday <laughs> it's like it's the, it's the way the calendar works senator i don't know <laughs> it's gonna be on a tuesday three years from now i guess <laughs> yeah so the interviewer was asking him about something about valentine's day and he's like oh is this weekend she's like no no it's actually today and he's like why is Valentine's Day on a Tuesday? Like, because it happens every February 14th, yeah, sir. Because every day of the, I know you're Jewish. But, I mean, I'm Jewish too, but uh, every day of the uh, Gregorian calendar is named for a saint, and February 14th is Saint Valentine's Day. But honestly, um, I mean, who didn't kind of feel him on the fact that why is Valentine's Day on a Tuesday? Yeah. Like, what? Like, nobody wants to do this on a Tuesday. By the way, weird anecdote a New Year's Eve in Israel is called the Sylvester, right? That's what people call it. And the reason is that December 31st is St. Sylvester's Day. Oh. Uh, and here's a fun fact. Uh, St. Sylvester was a huge anti-Semite. <laughs> and so I don't know why that's the why, name for why it. Why do you call your New Year's Eve that? I, don't, I really don't know. But it is that's literally been the term forever since I've been – like I've never known it as anything other than that. That is kind of – weird yeah maybe initially here's a speculative here's a speculative theory this is like the weirdest thing we've ever spoke about in the show but maybe maybe it's because 
uh, like the Jews <clears throat> wanted to totally downplay that. Like they were celebrating New Year's and they were like, oh, it's that just that St. Sylvester's Day, whatever. You know how like Neil deGrasse Tyson would be like, happy, uh, happy New Year to the Christians and to everyone else. It's just a random point on the orbit of the earth around the sun. Happy mm. arbitrary, happy arbitrary point on the orbit of the earth around the sun. Nothing matters. Right. You're, your your dead parents are not in heaven. They just ceased to exist and are being eaten by worms, little girl. Science! It's, <laughs> and it's funny because we've talked about this because, like, obviously you grew up in Israel. So Christmas, like December 25th, holds no religious or secular meaning to you because it's not celebrated really in Israel. It's not like – even like here in America, like even if you're not Christian, you're not like going to church and stuff on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It's still like – a secular holiday and you celebrate it in a secular fashion and all that stuff. And it's kind of like introducing the concept of like, Hey, this is a day where people do stuff. That's correct. Um, in some places, cause there is a Christian, there's like an Arab Christian community. So right. it sort of depends on where you live here in Haifa, which is a, a very mixed city. Actually, uh, because I lived in the Southern part of Jerusalem, which is close to Bethlehem, I did see some Christmas lights and stuff. They would line the road that goes to Bethlehem with like uh, Christmassy things because pilgrims mm -hmm. would come to Israel and like for, take the yeah, bus there Christmas, and go yeah, yeah go through the checkpoints into Palestinian Bethlehem. Um, but uh, but yes, yes, I got cr Christmas was something that I learned here. Now I have cousins who grew up here Jewish, but to them Christmas has that same thing that it has for you know like americans who aren't like religious who don't yeah, go to like it's, midnight it's, mass yeah, just it's, do it's a tree yeah it's a, like a secular holiday it's yeah like the day of you know family and presents and yeah have trees and lights and stuff now i have as a kid i did get to be here a couple of times during sort of christmas time but my first christmas experience happened right after i moved here i moved like my first apartment out, you know, like on my own in the States was in Boston because I was going to college there and I got it in a roommate with a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And like the week that I went there to like get everything ready and stuff was, you know, like the last, you know, the second week of December or something like that. Mm -hmm. And my second night there, whatever, they were like, we're going to go buy a Christmas tree. Come with us. And I was like, holy shit. Buying a Christmas tree. <laughs> I'm what doing a, the thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the thing. Because you, uh, to me, Christmas was uh, the Christmas episodes of shows. Full House, I don't know, Family right. Matters, any uh, – The Simpsons, obviously. A lot of a lot of The Simpsons. I think in Israel, a lot of uh, Americana, the window into America, to America – uh, the Simpsons played a huge part in people of my generation because I'm an I'm an elder millennial. But in Israel, like uh, until like the Internet got really big, there was like a an additional like I'm the almost the equivalent of someone who's five or six or seven years older than I am here because we were on a like a delay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like we were on a little bit of a delay in terms of like the culture. And so, yeah. And so, like, I know The Simpsons better than maybe someone who is my age here would know. Someone who's, like, four or five years older than I am would know it kind of in the same way. But um, 
but yeah, Christmas was very foreign to me. And here I learned to be like, oh, look at Santa's everywhere. How, how yeah. amazing. And then I, you know, learned to grow sick of Christmas music everywhere and fucking Christmas ads on TV. Yeah, it gets old quick. But this is not what we came here to talk about tonight. No, that was a... Oh, uh, tell, tell me about the, the New York Times and the trans kids. I don't understand. What are, why are they mad about the trans kids? Wow. So, <laughs> I mean, this story just keeps going, right? Oh my it's God. A big, it's a big saga. Like, we spoke about it, all about it on uh, on the pod, which, uh, which by the way, was like, yeah, a very, uh, very popular episode. Um, apparently so, y'all just want to hear us talk about our friends, internet drama. So I guess duly noted, <laughs> I mean, look, other, other popular episodes, uh, were also about kind of big topics that everybody was kind of talking about a lot. Uh, but, um, the ongoing story about like, uh, trans coverage in New York times, uh, you know, which, uh, culminated in this uh, letter. It started with this whole letter. Well, there was like, there's two letters. Yes. There's technically two letters. Yes, but um, but the, but the, uh, but the new, and then the New York Times like responded to the letter mm -hmm. or letters, right? So yeah, so there was originally two letters. There was one from Glad, right, and then there was one signed by New York Times contributors, and I use air quotes because they're using contributors very, very loosely here. Yeah, a lot of them like did one thing. Like yeah, you, know, you wrote you wrote one piece for the New York Times. You get to call yourself a New York Times contributor. Yeah. Anywho. So the whole thing that the New York Times ran a couple of pieces, not and, and I want to make this point because this is something that's getting conflated and it's annoying me. Not about trans people writ large, not about transitioning writ large, but specifically about youth transitioning and the questions that surround it and kind of the the lack of actual like scientific evidence as to whether this is you know beneficial not beneficial what are the long-term effects stuff like that and so obviously you can't talk about any of that without being accused of you want trans people to die and you want kids to die because you said something critical yeah now and after so, now yeah. after that letter came out right then they also they ran another piece, but this was like an opinion piece. It had called something like it was just called like in defense of J.K. Rowling, or right? Like that. And that again caused a huge drop. But then what happened was this, because then after that the whole uh, Jonathan Chait, Jesse Single, not Singal, Single. I gotta say that we mangled his name in an episode where we talked about people's names being mangled, which is kind of ironic. I just say we made him sound more exotic. It's, it's <laughs> and, um, and uh, so then uh, 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 we find out uh, yesterday that a whole bunch of uh, New York times writers, uh, big time ones signed a counter letter. They wrote a counter letter because of the way the guild had responded to the New York Times response to the original <laughs> this, letter. This is this is kind of deep, y'all. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, to, well, because... to, to take a little bit of layers of complexity off of this, the New York Times Guild asserted that its guild members had a right to publicly trash other guild members, right? Under yeah. the guise that they were creating a hostile work environment. Like I think this was right. a, a big bone of contention. Right. The bone of contention was you're you're you have a conflict you know you have a problem with how uh one of your coworkers writes something but and then you're you're making it a, a hostile workplace issue and it isn't right and so the 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 argument drawn out a little bit further 
because the New York Times in their original response to the glad letter and the contributor letter was basically like, okay, we I hear you, but um, we do journalism here, not activism. So basically get bent. And so the guild responds back like, okay, but isn't this like basically creating a hostile work environment? So basically the argument is running pieces that are not 100% positive about youth transition is creating a hostile work environment. Okay. So guild does this and then they have a zoom meeting. Uh, so hold on. So there was, there was both a letter sent to the head of the guild mm -hmm. and then there was also a zoom meeting. The letter was sent privately, I guess, but then like leaked because to the press. there's no such thing as a private letter. Anymore. No, no, no. But also, and there's names on it. And right. look, again, if you send, if you in this atmosphere, if you put your name on a letter like this to the head of the guild, you do it with the knowledge that it's going to come out. Right. right? It's, it's going to get leaked. But, like, but that's but that's fine. Yeah. Like that's your, you put your name on a letter. That means if you put your name on a letter only as far as long as it stays behind closed doors, you're not actually signing your name to anything. I right. think. I think it's that's. I, I don't think that's. Uh, that's particularly brave. Plus, I don't. I'm, I don't think anybody who signed that letter had any kind of real expectations that that wouldn't be made public. I mean, they're not stupid people. Like, right, right. Now, I'm not. There's no need. I mean, to they, read they, the, some of them are stupid people. But anyway, <laughs> there's no need to read the whole thing. But uh, I will read you the opening paragraph of the Vanity Fair story about this because that's where it would lead to. Um, a group of high-profile New York Times journalists on Tuesday privately fired back against News Guild of New York president Susan DeCarava, De that's her name, I guess, over a letter that she'd written affirming journalists' rights to criticize the paper in order to address workplace conditions, a response that came amid a dispute over the Times' coverage of transgender issues. Now, quote, it's quoting the letter, factual, accurate journalism that is written, edited, and published in accordance with Times' standards does not create a hostile workplace reads the letter, which was organized by reporter Jeremy Peters and in the past 24 hours collected dozens of signatures. Among them are Peter Baker, Charlie Savage, Adam Goldman, Michael Greenbaum, Apoorva Mandavili, my nemesis, Lisa Lair, Jim Ruttenberg, Mike McIntyre, whatever. Apparently, according to people who hate this letter, it was a lot of like their big time like national security correspondent, like big time people, not I wrote one the book actual, review. Yeah, the actual journalists at the New the York act, Times, yes. not not the not the opinion side. Correct. The news side. Correct. <laughs> the news side that understands what's going on here. Anyway, this continues with another quote from the letter. Your letter appears to suggest a fundamental misunderstanding of our responsibilities as journalists. Regretfully, our own union leadership now seems determined to undermine the ethical and professional protections that we depend on to guard the independence and integrity of our journalism, the letter says. Um, and um, here's an interesting thing. The Matt Iglesias situation. This all comes back to fucking JK, by the way. She is like, what the fuck? How the fuck is a lady who wrote a wizard book? I've. Dude, if you ever find out, let me know. The goddamn linchpin of like our um, – and, and she's Brit – like a British woman <laughs> who wrote – It's a little story about wizards. We're going to all... fly on broomsticks and play Quidditch and we're going to fight warlocks. <laughs> My name is Flitwick McGillicutty and I am a little dwarf prince. It's like – and and this – we're and people are like – anyway, because like – because what happened at Vox – is that um, uh, the Harper's letter, right, 
that, which God, we're talking about that shit again. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 which which Matt Iglesias, 150 people signed, including Matt Iglesias, but also including J.K. Got him out, pushed out of Vox because uh, Emily, which she co-founded. Yeah, Emily Vanderwerf, who has a different name now, mm-hmm. was a trans writer, wrote a letter to Vox leadership and then also tweeted it. Right, claiming that the fact that he had signed this letter created a hostile work environment for her. Now we had said this before because the, also with the James Bennett thing, we're, I'll bring that up in a second. The idea of saying hostile work environment mm-hmm. we've known forever is always a, 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 like a it's like a legal posture, right? I mean, you're ringing a very specific bell when you're saying hostile workplace environment because you're, and, and I think this is why a lot of people on the journalism side got very mad at this stance because that is something that is legally actionable. Yeah, it's a hedge so, against getting fired. Right. So if you're going to say that covering a certain issue creates a hostile work environment, you're creating a situation where you're basically saying, I, as an employee, can sue you as my employer for covering this issue because I feel like it makes a hostile workplace environment. It goes a step beyond just criticizing coverage or criticizing writers. Like now you're trying, you're trying to make like a situation where you could bring legal into this. And so If you are a journalist on the news side, I would hope it would uh, go into your head and be like, wait a minute. What if somebody decides that my beat creates a hostile work environment and then all of a sudden the New York Times has to come tell me I can't write about my beat anymore because somebody's going to sue us for it. Like that's why people lost their shit over this. I think. Now here's an interesting thing because we're. I said I mentioned uh, James Bennett. We're talking about, of, of course, the, the the notorious Tom Cotton op-ed about Black Lives Matter that uh, caused a big thing, and, and then, then yeah, James Bennett got fired, very... and then recently I trashed him because he recently trashed the New York Times. But when he left, he was like very apologetic and gracious. I by the way, I was at an event several months ago, fancy event. Uh, and uh, someone on the podium said, like, oh, James Bennett is here, James. And I uh, uh, impolitely, loudly went, boo. <laughs> <laughs> and I had had something to drink. So, but I was like, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I said it. I probably said it a few decibels too loudly. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to say this for my table. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Um when that happened, one of the ways that they like passed the buck was they came up with the story where he didn't read it, which is fucking I, the biggest how, fucking lie. Yeah, ever. how the fuck did you approve a piece if you didn't read it? And and so and by the way, because he when Bennett then went after it wasn't Dean Bennett, he went after uh, no uh, Salzburger. Salzburger probably was like say you didn't like it because now he feels like Salzburger stabbed him in the back when at the time he like played ball I mean the yeah the whole situation was just stabbing him in the back and making him kind of the fall guy for this because it was like oh it's all Bennett's fault that we ran this Tom Cotton piece which I mean as stupid as the piece was I mean Tom Cotton is a sitting U.S. senator so I also think I mean stupid it was whatever like the that's the thing at well, this I point. Tom, I think Tom Cotton's an idiot. So I don't, I don't like. I have, I have mixed feelings on different things that he did, but but on on like uh, 
on in that realm, I disagree with him. I just think it's such a big hoopla has been made out of what is considering the shit that you read in opinion pages every day. Not a huge like I'm still surprised. No, you know what? I'm not surprised. I'm only because it's funny because I was talking about George Floyd with someone today and about how the the fact that emotions were so high right after that that a lot of big like cancel culture things happened like the the Cooper the bird watchy Amy yeah, Cooper Lord. thing which any other time probably wouldn't have caused this like big literally up. nobody would care right. because it'd be like who the fuck are these people even now the point of what I'm saying here is though that I think again I think Salzberger said to Bennett look if you say we didn't read it we can kind of get away with saying that it was like not up to our editorial standards, blah, blah, blah. And maybe I'll save your job if you do that. Right. And right? then he promptly proceeded to not do that. Now, so. but now the New York Times came out when this first letter came out. The New York Times came out and they said, uh, excuse me, we this went through the precise process, right? We stand every the editorial standards were met. Like they learned from that mistake. They were like, we're not gonna fall if we're gonna do some kind of controversial thing. Cause there's no way that the editorial team who put out these pieces on transgender medicine, youth medicine, didn't know that it was gonna be controversial. I mean, come on, editors know, right? I mean, I know I've been around editors. Editors realize if a piece they're gonna publish is yeah, gonna be explosive. Stupid. Yeah. And so they know they got to cross their T's and dot their I's, especially with that thing that had happened before. And so now they like the, the they and so now these journal right, like you said, now these journalists are, are coming around and saying, look, anything that goes through a proper process, something right, something it's vetted, it's fact checked, it's I don't know what. You can't say that creates a hostile work environment. That's not that's that's ridiculous. Like you can't what you're what you're doing now is yeah, that is effectively saying touching any topic yeah. like this at all is something you're you should be legally forbidden right, like from on, doing yeah like on threat of legal like and that i think that's where like i said i think that's where a lot of people really got mad and so jesse single not single single <laughs> um he actually did a thread on twitter um where he was apparently talking to somebody who was on the New York Times Zoom call that got apparently very, very contentious with people just basically shouting down the guild. Apparently somebody actually called for like a recall of guild leadership, like on the spot. And in 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 the frame of kind of thinking about the Tom Cotton piece too. Yeah, here, hold on. It, I'll just read this thread because okay. uh, you mentioned because I think it's important. Okay. So Jesse says, I just spoke to someone who was at the New York Times Town Hall. Oh, it's a town hall. Where mm -hmm. Guild leadership presented as a chance for staff to provide feedback on the New York Times contributors' open letter, New York Times response, and the Guild's response. At the meeting, the newsroom just revolted against the Guild. Overwhelmingly, blah, 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 blah. Overwhelmingly, the source said, the... Uh, around 150 participants on the Zoom were opposed to the Guild's attempts to frame objections to New York Times coverage as a hostile workplace issue. At the end, at least one person openly asked about recalling the Guild leadership. There was also overwhelming rejection of the idea uh, of the idea that signing uh, a letter attacking colleagues is protected by labor law, and most seemed quite unhappy such acts of non-collegiality had occurred. It was fucking crazy, said my source. An overwhelming show of force for traditional journalism in the Billy Ball. Right. Um, 
And, uh, and uh, yeah, again, it's, it's the idea is, and this happened a lot in recent times when a journalist would get hectored by other journalists and the guild would assert the right of guild members to bully another guild member out of like the workplace. Right. And so, like I was saying about the Tom Cotton pieces, it's, it's really interesting the difference a couple of years makes because that whole situation was because a, a vocal minority of people got really pissed off on a Slack channel somewhere and just got mad online and ultimately cost Bennett his job. I mean, they ended up, the Tom Cotton op-ed is still up, but with like a huge long editorial note on it now, whatever, stupid. Anyway, but now it's a situation where, especially when you're talking about a situation that is as loaded as youth transitioning and the the online discourse and debate around this topic has just been one of the grossest ones I can think of in a long, 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 long time on the internet. And I think it's just getting to the point where people, I mean, not only people that work at the New York Times, not only people that are worried about journalism, but people writ large are just really, really, really tired of being yelled at for no good reason. So I want to, hold on, I got to pull up this one tweet. This one tweet, hold on. You talk about something. I'm going to go find the tweet. Okay, so... Because uh, you so, know what tweet I'm talking about. So. No, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. But uh, but the, the problem becomes that then people, you know, so there's someone who is commenting on this letter, someone commenting on it negatively, saying, okay, so for these New York Times journalists, it's activism to demand... Yeah. Oh, oh, that's the tweet? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it's here, Jack... Minkinson. Merkinson. Okay, so in response to the Vanity he's, Fair, uh, what he's, is he? He's oh, he's uh, he's he's at the Nation, right? Uh, of course, or, Katrina Vanden Heuvel's rag or whatever. Right. right. So the tweet is okay for these New York Times journalists. It's activism to demand that trans people be treated like human beings in news coverage, but journalism to raise questions about the humanity of trans people. Anyone else see an issue there? Um, yes. Mainly, the New York Times didn't raise any questions about the humanity of trans people, nor has anybody else worth paying attention to. There's two things here. The demand is not that trans people be treated like human beings, and the, and the, and the questions are not about the humanity of trans people. Like, neither of – the problem is – this is exactly the crux of the problem, and I'm glad that people are starting to push back on it because I'm glad that the, the water is starting – to rise so much that they're like, okay, now there is, you know, I was, there's a lot I'm willing to put up with, but the idea that those articles, uh, the people read the article and the idea that th what that article does is question the humanity of trans people and therefore any criticism of it or any calls to fire people or any calls to do this is merely demanding that trans people be treated like human beings. It's like, you know how, uh, you know how people say sometimes what's well, like that. It's like, Oh, critical race theory. You just don't want to teach history. It's not cancel culture. It's treating people with kindness. You know, it's like, fuck you. Don't, you don't get to frame your bullshit at like rabid, rabid, activism as oh i'm just trying to be a nice guy no you're not no you're not you're not empathetic you're not nice nothing you do comes from a place of caring or empathy you can tell 
people whose entire idea of helping a cause is to just yell and scream at people they think are obstructing the cause. That's not, that's just an excuse. You're just looking for a reason. We're talking about Drew McGarry, people like that. It's just like, people. No, you're just like, and especially Drew. Well, no, it's like, this, like, okay, literally like fuck everybody who ever wrote for Gawker. <laughs> but when the, your general response to anybody who raises any kind of like the mildest question about youth transitioning online is eat shit and die. You fucking transphobe. It, it, people were, people are done. People are fucking done with it. It's like it, you have, if you're not going to bring anything substantial to the table here, then bye. We're done. The, uh, eventually the gaslighting, it becomes unignorable to anyone. Cause you say to someone, I read this article. Right. Mm -hmm. What you're saying about it is untrue. And then they say, OK, the fact that you're saying that now makes me feel unsafe at work as you are my coworker. And then people are like, OK, fuck you now. That's it. Now I'm, I'm, not, I'm I no longer give a shit about this. Um, and I said, you know, I've said before the uh, you know, we've, we've spoken about this on, on this pod too before. The idea of like uh, you're radicalizing people against your cause and how there's a lot of people who claim that that's. You're just you just want an excuse to be a transphobic, so you're claiming that I made you transphobic, and it's like no, no I'm not talking about transphobia. No, I'm talking about large swaths of not giving a shit anymore. Like that's what that's. And by the way, that is very harmful to like the trans cause or any cause is to get large swaths of normies to like stop caring. Right? You don't you don't need a lot of you don't need a lot of haters. You really don't. You need a small group of haters and a large group of people who don't care that there's a small group of haters who are hating on you. Right. That's you know, they say like for evil to thrive, all it takes is for good men to do nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, if you turn off all good men by just being an asshole all the time, it's hard you know, it's hard. It gets debilitating. Being an ally, quote unquote, is fucking hard. Right, you got to suffer the whims of all these nut jobs, and eventually people get sick of it. And it's all just so exhausting <clears throat> online because, like, e even even that tweet, like, okay, so you've basically conflated coverage of youth transitioning with questioning the humanity of trans people writ large. Like, nobody did that. And 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 to be perfectly honest, and that and we talked about this on the pod. This is all just jock sniffing, clout chasing bullshit because none of these people actually care about trans kids. They don't give a shit about trans kids. What you give a shit about is getting likes and retweets on Twitter. And so you know that you have to say certain things so that your friends will like you and retweet you. And you have to make sure you attack the right people so that everybody can know that you're on the right side of whatever tribe you're on. And it's just like, no, like you don't really fucking care. Actually, you don't care there. I think there's also a lot of uh, I think that your motives for this are bad mm -hmm. and therefore I will be for it. Right. It's the idea of like meaning if you cornered a bunch of people. Context aside, I was like, don't worry, no MAGA person is ever going to hear this conversation. I think a lot of them would express discomfort with some of this bleeding edge stuff, like for children or whatever, mm -hmm. but they don't want to fall on the fucking culture war side of it. And a lot of them probably say like, 
a lot of them probably do just hate trans people. And I kind of don't want to be associated with that position because I don't. I just have misgivings about, you know, transition surgery for children. It's like the in a way, by the way, both sides turn away potential support by being like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like the, the Matt Walsh's of the world aren't exactly helping their cause either. No, they're they are just what they're doing is they're they're gathering a lot of fist pumping from people who already right. agree. I was like, yeah, it's social media posturing bullshit. Yeah, there isn't a lot of there isn't a lot of hearts and minds being won over by Matt Walsh, I think, nor by, you know, uh, Alejandra Caraballo or Marissa Cabas or uh, uh, any of these uh, people. No. Um, sort of similar types of like maximalism that are, yeah, they p play up to their own crowd. But I think that in, I think that apathy is more harmful to the trans cause than the anti-trans cause or whatever you want to call it. And I, I think that, yeah, they're risking a lot of like, like, yeah, you're, you're creating large groups of people who are like, yeah, I'm sure trans people are fine. But like, I just, I can't, I just don't want to hear about it anymore. Like it's so toxic. And I just don't want like, you know what I mean? Like there's, everything it's, is such. That's that, by the way, you bring that up. That's exactly what happened with the gay rights cause. Do, yeah. <laughs> and literally that, that, that was the trajectory. And then people just got like, oh my God, I'm so fucking tired of it. And then. We had to basically push through to get gay marriage. And it was like, because again, you make it this like toxic thing where it's like, uh, I'm like your average person is like, okay, yeah, people should be able to marry whoever they want to marry provided they're, you know, consenting adults. But then you, you turn it into this like great big, huge thing. That's about like 15 other different things. And then people are like, I, I don't, I, I don't care anymore. Like I can't, I can't follow this. I can't keep up with this. It's, it's I, I don't care anymore. And so they, they tune out. And that's what's going to end up happening with the push for trans rights. It's like you include all this other shit in there and you make it this incredibly toxic thing where it's like, if you don't agree with us, you're like the worst person on the planet. And so then people are just like, you know what? I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm, I'm checking out. I'm not participating, whatever. A lack of taste says ContraPoints was interviewed for a podcast about J.K. Rowling and disowned it as a precaution before it could be aired. Uh, ContraPoints, if you guys don't know, mm -hmm. a really, really uh, big uh, YouTuber, Natalie Wynn, yeah. trans uh, YouTuber who uh, does videos about like uh, pop culture and stuff from like a trans through a trans lens or I mean, not all, not only because I don't think that's her only, but well, she's kind of also part of like the anti-woke liberal crowd, kind of like shoe on head sort of in that sort of general ish. Not really. See, she's one of those people who like once in a while will like step out of line, get like tons of shit and then kind of like sort of walk it back, but not exactly. She's, I have, again, I have mixed, mixed feelings about, about Contra. Uh, I think uh, we can bring JD on for a second and then we can yeah. talk uh, Last of Us because uh, uh, it is, uh, it is getting up there. So uh, JD, uh, how's it going, man? It's been a while. Oh. Uh-oh. Oh, you're unmuted, but you're not, you're not speaking. Oh, oh, there, there was are. something. What up, guys? There, there we go. go. How's it going, man? 
Nothing much, you guys. All right. So I just wanted to chime in kind of on that J.K. Rowling transgender um, controversy that's never going to end. It's kind of interesting if you look at it, because J.K. Rowling, from what I've seen, isn't specifically saying anything that's anti-trans. No, she never has. She's just saying things that are like pro-biological woman, which basically makes you anti-trans in certain circles. She is, I, I, I've said this before, her, the, the thing I think that caused the sort of uh, elevation of her to, to be this like evil figure is that she's an unapologetic second wave feminist mm-hmm. and she's a dick about it, which whatever, okay? But she is extremely dickish about it when confronted. And I think that more than anything drives activists insane that's by the way why they pick on their own so much it's because a a trans person calling matt walsh an awful transphobe he's that that's like a compliment to him but if you call your wiener ass ally a transphobe they're gonna like they're gonna do whatever you want so that you like rescind that brand that evil brand um, and so, and, and I think her lack of, of, of being even slightly apologetic about her opinions drives them bananas. And yeah, that thing about someone said, how do you sleep at night? She was like, I just look at my royalty checks and I go right to bed. Right. That is an extremely dickish thing to say, but so I, what, yeah, whatever. I, I can't, right? can't be mad at it. At this point, no. Right. Early on, whatever. At this point, like she is so vilified by large swaths of people of of people that I it's hard for me to blame her for being like, yeah, fuck all of you. Right. (laughs) What are you going to do? How how much longer can she be like she take the high road? Well, and it's, it's kind of interesting if you think about it. I think a point that she's raised, she talks about how the trans movement kind of conflicts with the LGB, the LGB movement. And how maybe they should be a separate movement because you take all of these issues that the left cares about, like LGBTQ plus uh, women's rights, et cetera, et cetera, and they seem to be lumping them all together. Oh yeah, you like, love you, you love searching for my old tweets, right? Find my tweet about gray goo about how every progressive cause eventually becomes all progressive causes. You know, like Greta Thunberg will be like trans rights is climate and you know, uh abortion is infrastructure. It's that's I mean that's really is what it is. It's like everyone wants to glom on every time a a specific cause becomes like very popular, everyone wants their own corner of progressivism to kind of be related to it look at uh pro-palestinian activists and how they insert themselves into fucking everything right well and the thing is this goes back in u.s history because originally during the anti-slavery movement you had the suffragette movement who said we want women to get the right to vote and they tried to tack it on with the anti-slavery movement And then the anti-slavery movement said, yes, we understand that you're technically being deprived the right to vote, but there's a big difference between being enslaved for being an African and being a white woman who can't vote. So get out. Interesting. You stole our hashtag. That's what have happened. That's what would happened if there was like Twitter back then. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, you stole our hashtag. It, it, it reminds me uh, 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 in a, a minor way 
about uh, when prohibition got uh, passed, a, a, a big element of uh, of it was the fact that like the liquor and the beer makers turned on each other, and all the mm-hmm. be- all the brewers were like, "Make liquor illegal, but beer is fine." And liquor, <laughs> and I was like, "To make beer illegal," and then if they had joined forces, they might have represented like a large enough pressure group to like uh, pose the uh, the uh, what you call it the. Uh, temperance movement yeah but they couldn't and so (laughs) and so then they both got screwed and in a way i think yeah i think that like causal infighting like that makes everybody look at progressivism like a big toxic dump what was that article in uh was it in compact about that black professor who got voted out of his class by his woke students did you read that a really weird uh what just a thing you know essentially like a thing just like that but but it, that struck like you know someone who taught like a, a a black progressive professor there we go thank you uh jd uh um it's in yeah it is in compact oh. and he he got accused of like he he essentially like taught his students oh, to yeah. be woke and then they turned on him and were like you it's all microaggressions every and... damn time yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 he like he he created a, he created a monster it's like uh you know uh the wave do you guys know the wave it's a story it's like it's like a movie it's a book but it is I'm a... like oh you mean the thing we do at the baseball game no 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 it's about a professor who is teaching his students a lesson in fascism and the way he does it he creates a fascist movement and he kind of brainwashes them into it but then like the the end of the movie is like the reveal where he reveals to them that they that basically what they did was like become nazis but like it's a little like that, except without that moment of realization. Right. So, like, so they like just became Nazis, and then just like yes. <laughs> imagine at the end of the professor were like, "See, I turned you into fascist," and they're like, "Yeah, okay, go stand next to that wall." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have that man shot. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Anyway, go JD. Well, and the thing is, just so side note, since you mentioned the wave, there have been high school teachers that have tried simulations like this. I think there was a high school teacher that he did the Stanford prison experiment with his class mm-hmm. and he got a really quiet student who he assigned to be one of the guards and then he just turned into a tyrant and then the student ended up committing suicide after. Yikes. Oops. But but, <laughs> go, not... but sorry, going back on the JK Rowling point, so I'm a high school teacher and I have several students who are trans. And something that they get really mad about, they'll ask me about like, oh, Mr. Peterson, what's your favorite book, blah, blah, blah. And I'll tell them it's Harry Potter. And they get really offended when I tell them that I like Harry Potter. And then they say, well, how can you like Harry Potter? Uh, J.K. Rowling's a turf, blah, blah, blah. But then I say, well, you've got to remember, I grew up when the books were coming out. And J.K. Rowling didn't have any of these issues. And also... The fact that she's supposedly anti-trans doesn't mean that I can't appreciate her books. And so I still get in a struggle with my trans students because they can't really separate J.K. Rowling from books that she wrote like two decades ago. I mean, you can – well, I'm saying, you know, you can you can actually bring up someone who's also been in the news recently. You can ask them if they enjoy Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Matilda and then bring up Roald Dahl's 
opinions. You know, mm-hmm. there's uh, there's the you know the list is endless. Like, you know, he's like, a virulent anti semite, right? Yeah. <laughs> like any Wagner, you know, like there's there's yeah. like the this this is an unending rabbit hole. <laughs> you know who else liked Wagner? <laughs> exactly. I mean that. I mean literally, right? Quite literally. <laughs> um, and uh, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what is gonna what could happen to 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 maybe create a sort of a maybe a counter movement to this i i'm not exactly sure um i think we can i think we can move on from uh, from one form of doomerism to another form of doomerism a fictional form of doomerism thank you as always jd by the yes. way um just talking about uh the last of us uh, episode 6 i believe cuz we spoke about yeah five, we did talk about 5 obviously right and so, yeah, this was six because I literally asked you during this episode, like, how many more episodes do we have? Because this is the one where Joel and Ellie finally make it to Tommy over in Wyoming and he's got his little situation all set up. Yeah. Like, I like I want to call it Alexandria so bad because of Walking <laughs> Dead, but it's not. It, it, it's not, Jackson Hole, yeah. Yeah, it's not Alexandria. And apparently, but, <laughs> apparently, see this again, I this part of the game is very sketchy for me, but uh, I do know that uh, you don't really see this place until the second game. Uh, you don't really see it proper in, in the first game, which I think is kind of neat because again, it's, it shows that they're, they're thinking about this uh, in a, like they're thinking about the bigger picture. They're not just looking five inches in front of their face, you know, like a star Wars, you know, putting things in here that are, are in the second game to pace both seasons out together in a smarter way just means to me, it just indicates another way in which they kind of thought this out well. Right. And so I was kind of curious about what the pacing is going to be going forward because this, this episode, like I said, this is the one where they finally make it to Tommy and you find out Tommy is kind of like, I I wouldn't call him like the president because I don't think they typically have a president of the commune. Because there's like a whole joke about that, like oh, because Tommy's like explaining how like Jackson Hole works. It's like oh, everybody's here and everybody works and everybody like takes what they need. And so it's like oh, like communism. It's like well, it is a commune. So. Yes, and and and. But yeah, so we're, we're and I saw some there. people get annoyed, but and I I thought that was sort of ridiculous because I, I just thought it was a funny line. <laughs> it was a funny line because and it isn't pro communism obviously. It's just ridiculous cuz like I because yeah, like in a in a in a in a po, in a like a in a frontier environment, not even in a post apocalypse. In a frontier situation, a commune is a very good like starting point. And I say often like the first waves of um Ironically, you know, people like to frame the Israel thing as like a religious conflict, but in fact, Zionism was like a secular commie movement. It mm-hmm. was a bunch of communist pioneers who weren't religious and came to like uh, to be, yeah, sort of to pioneer the wilderness, uh, dry the swamps and till the earth and stuff. And yeah, in that kind of frontier environment, a lot of them lived in collectivist settlements and stuff they had to like defend themselves there was no centralized authority there were like raiders and i mean kind of like this there was no cordyceps there was malaria but no cordyceps right and kind of like the bigger part of this episode to me was kind of showing the shift 
between Joel and Tommy and how their lives have basically like kind of crossed over because before the fungal apocalypse, Joel was, you know, a single dad, he had a job, you know, he's got responsibilities, all this stuff. And Tommy was kind of the wild card who was out there like trying to find himself and find his way in the world. And so now we make it to here and we find out Tommy is basically settled down. He's got a wife. He's got a kid on the the way. way, you know, he's, he's, He's settled into this life and Joel is still out here roaming around after 20 years. He's carting Ellie off to God knows where. I mean, he really doesn't even know where he's carting her off to at this point. And so it was kind of like that juxtaposition of how their lives have basically like swapped over at this point. And Tommy's, Joel's talking to Tommy. He's like, Tommy's like, you got to help me. You got to help me get her to this place. And Tommy's like, I can't. I can't leave here. Like I've got responsibilities. I've got a kid on the way. I've got people depending on me. Like I can't just be out, out here in the wilderness with the freaking cordyceps zombies. Cause I've got responsibilities and I can't die. Everyone in this show has their person, right? Except for Joel. I mean, he, he, no, not except for, he just doesn't know yet. <laughs> Well, I mean, he, but the he, idea he is had his person. Yes. Well, I mean, he, but he never, but he never acknowledged it to himself. Well, now, right. So, and then he, re, like, right, you know, as uh, as Joni Mitchell said once. He, yeah, he didn't. He, he didn't acknowledge to himself that Tess was his person he, until Tess was gone. He didn't know what he got. Yeah. And they paved and put up a cordyceps. Um, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> By the way, the 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 reason the communism <laughs> the, the reason the communism line was funny was because Tommy. The joke is that Tommy before the apocalypse was probably a person who thought communism was a dirty word, like ah damn commies. He was like in Desert Storm or whatever, and like yeah, it didn't occur to him that he was living in a commune until Joel was like, oh, so it's a commune, right? Yeah. So this is communism, and Joel and uh, Tom was like. Of course it isn't. So I was like, uh, actually, we are communists. Yeah, like, yeah, we are like, literally communists. He's just thinking about it like, oh, shit, I guess we are communists. Like in the actual, like, <laughs> functional way in which it works, yes. <laughs> which is to say, on a small scale, provided that everybody is there voluntarily and is participating in the yes. system. And as Jacob P. says, Greg Mazin, if you watch uh, Chernobyl, you will know that he's not a he's not pro-commie. Not that kind of commie anyway. Not, you know, not like state communism. Uh, I think Sonny Bunch said that he's a very interesting guy because he's clearly a very left-wing guy, Craig Mazin, but he, 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 he is soberly critical of, of, and he's sort of, he shrewdly slays sort of leftist sacred cows, which is great. I love someone who has the, the sort of the intelligence to do that. Who was he? Was he, Ted Cruz's college roommate or something like that. Who really? is anyway, while you look that up, um, the thing that has struck me most about both episode five and episode six is just the yes, level. It is. See, it is wow. Ted Cruz. He really? was college. Yes. He was roommates in college with Ted Cruz. <laughs> See, I thought if I... you could go back in time and kill baby Ted Cruz, would you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, so episode five, episode six, if you kind of are familiar with the plot line of The Last of Us part one, especially how it ends and going into part two, a lot of foreshadowing, 
lot of foreshadowing, a lot of setting up where I think this season is going to end, which is that. where, well, I mean, for, I would say for those who know the game, I think it's going to end the same where like the last of us part one ends. Like, yeah. I think it's going to end there, which is going to be interesting to see the various reactions to that because it's a, a fairly controversial ending, yeah. I shall say. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot in this but, episode, a lot of uh, two things happened. A lot of um, Ellie uh, understanding mm-hmm. Joel more and a lot of Joel uh, coming to like sort of opening up about his own vulnerability. Re- really, really building out that father-daughter bond, the, which is going to be critical to understanding the events of what I assume is going to be the season finale. And I think, uh, my, I think my favorite moment of the episode was a really small moment, a really good, subtle acting moment. Cause I, you know, I love a good subtle acting moment. I don't need a big acting moment. Sometimes small ones just hit me really hard. And it's when, uh, when she says, uh, I'm, she says, I'm sorry about your kids. And she says, Oh, just kid. Uh, Sarah was Joel's daughter. And Ellie just has this look on her face like, Yeah, it had – because Joel had uh, clearly never brought up Sarah to Ellie. No, Henry said, you're not her father, but you were someone's father. Right. Uh, He could tell. But yeah, and and is it Maria? Is that her name? Oh, what? uh, Tommy's – Yeah. Wife, I think so. Yeah, she immediately notices. She's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Like, like oh, there's this fuck. moment of pride, and then Ellie says, she says something like, "No, it actually explains a lot about Joel." Yeah. Um. But yeah, just that moment of quiet where you see her mind racing, like, "Oh no," because oh. she also saw how old she was. She was looking at the dates. It, it all of a sudden it like unlocked like it this whole like yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was that was an amazing an amazing small moment. Um, just really beautiful location scouting, uh, a really good looking show, I think. Right. The, the, the scene that they set up for Jackson hole is very beautiful. And even like the past two episodes, very, very, very pretty, especially when they're like, you know, traveling to Wyoming, which is in the game. I mean, there's a lot to skip over cause there's not really like a ton going on other than just getting to Wyoming and making sure you don't get eaten by zombies. But yeah, the way they did it in the show, very pretty, very obviously winter in Wyoming with the snow and the, the trees and everything. And just very nice. Yep. Oh, sorry. Ja- just Jackson, not Jackson hole, but no, but I thought it was called Jack. I thought it was called Jackson hole. Maybe they're just at Jackson. I thought, There's lots of places in Wyoming. Because I thought, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to Jackson. It is Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We're going to Jackson. Doom, 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 doom. Here, I'm going to, that, that'll be our what? play out song. Like, what are you even singing? You don't know that song? No. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, what's his name? Uh, it's a, uh, come on. Johnny Cash, thank you. Okay. It's a Johnny it's a Johnny it's actually a Johnny and June Carter Cash song. Aww. Correct. Here, we'll, we'll do it. Uh where is it? Oh, so are we, are we ending now? I mean kind of, yeah. I think so. Okay. Because, uh, uh, I mean it's it is nine twenty eight. Okay. Kind of like Fine. slowly. 
Why did you have anything else to say? Say it over Johnny Cash. Well, no, nothing that wouldn't involve like a long conversation about you know, quantum media and Walking Dead and how people are going to consume content and be like, oh, this is a ripoff of other content when actually the other content actually came first. And yeah. Oh, sure. Especially when you like quantum media and the Council of Kangs, people are going to be like, it's the Council of Ricks. I'm like, no, the Council of Ricks was actually the Council of Kangs. You just didn't know that. And now you know that. Anyway, so. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. Have you seen Walk the Line? Come on, Jen. No, I've not seen Walk the Line. Wow, really? No. It's good. It's really good. I mean, you know, like I, I, I don't I think care all, enough about Johnny Cash to watch a movie about all him. music biographies are a little bit the same or the samey, but I mean, it's who cares? Like, it's just the topic of a movie. You're also not a secret agent, but you watch Mission Impossible. <laughs> Okay, anyway. It's good. It's actually, yeah, as far as they go, because, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, it's good. It's a little attractive. Anyway, Walk Hard is better. Yeah. <laughs> what was the parody one? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyway, that was uh, all across that. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we will, uh, we're, we're going to be recording an early episode of the pod this weekend because uh, cause I'm going to be out of town. So uh, it might, I don't know. Well, it'll probably come out at the same time. Yeah, I'm being abandoned. I'm going to have to watch The Last of Us by myself <laughs> and go fetch my own tissues. <laughs> we might, uh, yeah, it might be just be out of date. Like, you know, if the world ends on Sunday, we're not going to be discussing well, it on the pod. You know, but then none of us will be here anyway. Yeah. If what, the, what the fuck, guys? You didn't discuss the Cordyceps apocalypse. Yeah, that happened on Sunday. I'm sorry. We record on Saturday. Yeah, so. apparently, like, the Cordyceps apocalypse happens over a weekend. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's and on we a weekend. And we don't. We they not, don't not on a Tuesday. They do it on a weekend. And neither of us like carbs very much. So, you know, it's like uh, we, we probably would uh, we would probably skirt it. You yes, know? it would be all right. Yeah, I got to I got to restart. The, oops. Never mind. Anyway. OK, so <laughs> <laughs> no music, no music. We're going to do it. We're going to do it raw. You broke it. Let's go. Anyway. OK, so. Um, you know where to find us here on Wednesday nights. Um, if you don't catch us live, you can always catch us after the fact. Um, our normal podcast, Ambitious Crossover Attempt, drops on Mondays. You can find us on all your podcast catchers, you know, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, Apple, all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at AMBXOver. You can find me on Twitter at that Jen Monroe and on Substack at jenmonroe.substack.com. I am Neon Taster on Twitter. And also YouTube.com slash Neon Taster and Twitch.tv slash Neon Taster. I'm sure I'm going to stream something in the near future i mean one day we're counting it down we're counting it down it's like 80 days left for uh for the tears of the kingdom gonna rock it out guys silk it's song. gonna be amazing silk song will come out one day i mean so i've been told it's in theory it should come out by june but who Allegedly. knows oh hogwarts maybe hogwarts i mean uh, well yeah. we'll talk about it there's a whatever but anyway good night thank you everyone jen bye bye good night bye. good night everybody bye. Bye. Bye.